0: The Anton Savage Show, Sunday. Brought to you by PWC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk.
1: You will not be surprised to discover that the focus of an awful lot of the news attention, in fact, possibly all of the news attention, is on RTE, is on the departure of the chair is on the possible departure of the media minister, Catherine Martin, because there are a lot of questions being asked about what Catherine Martin did and what she intended to achieve with her interview on primetime, some suggesting that it was Machiavellian strategy of the highest order, some suggesting it was incompetence of the highest order. Um, But either way, a lot of analysis about... um, whether or not she intended to precipitate the departure of the RTE chairperson. And then a lot of questions about whether or not the RTE chair had to resign or could she have just taken a deep breath, talked to the minister the next morning and got on with it. We'll be analysing that, plus all of the other stories making the news with our newspaper panel in a couple of minutes. The other thing that is making the news this weekend is good news for Sinn Féin because we have been talking about this over the past while and you may have heard us talking to Pierce Starty about it. The fact that there had been a number of polls in a row that had showed a diminution of popularity um, for Sinn Féin, that they had dropped, particularly in in the uh, Red Sea polls, they had a high of 32%, at which point all of the smart money was saying, well, that's it, it's all over, bar, bar the shouting, that's the, the next government. Then they dropped to 29 Then they dropped to 25. And the question was, is this a trend? We seem to have the answer now because they have returned back up to 28. Not a massive margin, but one assumes there will be heaving sighs of relief within Sinn Féin, as that would suggest that the political momentum is back with them. That's the view that Shane Coleman, our own Shane Coleman, has in the Business Post. He's doing an analysis of that poll for the paper and he describes it as having to the party as having managed to stem the sharp and steady slide in its poll numbers in uh, recent months he's with us this morning morning Shane morning Anton heaving sighs of relief in Sinn Féin
0: yeah I think you summed it up perfectly with that they will be hugely relieved because as you pointed out back in October they were at 32% they slid down as as far as 25% in that I mean I thought the last month's Red Sea business poll was probably The most eye catching poll since the last general election because Sinn Fein were basically, despite everyone talking for the last four years that it was inevitable they would lead the next government, they were basically back to where they were at the time of the last uh, general election. Bear in mind at at one point, as recently as July 1920 or 2022, excuse me, um, they were at 36%. Now, at 36%, you're kind of coming close to overall majority uh, territory uh, at 25%, as I say, you're back down to where they were uh, when they uh, fought the election uh, four years ago. So they would have been hugely worried at that. So I'd say massive size of relief uh, this weekend and this morning that they have gone back up to 28%. Uh, you know, the, 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 That's the good news and, and the growth. You, know, you always have to be careful when you drill too far into the figures because when you start going into demographics and regions and um, ABCs versus, uh, you know, CDs and so on. You're into much smaller numbers and there's a higher margin of error, but the figures are pretty clear. Way up among males, way up in Dublin, up ten points uh, in Dublin to be the biggest party in Which Dublin. Is again, a
1: source one imagines of big size of relief for them.
0: Yeah, because they were they were struggling and they were below. Um, they were below Finnegale and Fianna Fail were closing on them in the last poll in Dublin. Younger voters, predominantly, is where the growth has come from as well. They've gone from uh, among eighteen to thirty-four year olds. They've gone from twenty-seven percent to thirty-four percent. So, interesting, and and it's kind of difficult to understand. Obviously, there's no obvious and clear reasons as to why that has happened. I I posited a couple of theories in the piece. Uh, You can take them or leave them. Uh, it's It's as good as anyone's or as bad as anyone's theory. I suspect immigration... Uh, was it was less of an issue in February than it was in January. You remember in January there was a number of very high profile incidents and immigration we know from opinion polls is a really tricky area uh, for Sinn Féin. We've saw, we've seen them flip-flop a little bit in recent months uh, in relation to their views uh, on immigration. We know categorically, the party absolutely dismissed this but there's no argument about it because the polls show it. We know those who are more likely to vote Sinn Féin have a bigger problem with the levels of immigration that are there in the country so it's a tricky issue for them I think the fact that immigration was less of an issue in February, there was there is still some controversy over what's going on in Drada but it's been less high profile, I think that's a factor. The other thing I, I'm guessing would is a factor as well and it is only a guess, is the return of the Northern Ireland Executive, all those very positive headlines about Michelle O'Neill uh, becoming First Minister, the first ever nationalist to hold that role so I suspect that is uh, a factor but that's the good news. And without wishing to, to drone on for too long, the note of caution for Sinn Féin, Anton, is that at 28%, they are a long, long way short of being in a position to form a government. Well, that's the thing
1: I was intrigued at towards the end of your piece, where you do the analysis of what the next government looks like. And in your take, you're saying it now looks Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and a mix and gather of anybody they can find.
0: Yeah, I'm. Look, as you know, Anton, I'm a little bit of a, a geek when it comes to politics, and I, you know, I can, I can talk about any election you want, but I'm sure that's not what your listeners want to hear this morning. Going back a hundred years, but I, I, am quite taken by the 1948 uh, election in which uh, Fianna Fáil were by a long distance the biggest party. I think they had more seats combined than every other party in the Dáil uh, when you excluded independents. And yes. They weren't in government when the government was formed. It was a government of five parties plus independence. You had Fine Gael, Clan Italian, Clan Republic, Labour, National Labour, and independence sitting in government. And that, to me at the moment, I still think that's the front runner. There's, there's two possible governments. One is a government, as I say, multi party. So you'd have Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, and then perhaps the Sock Dems, perhaps Labour, perhaps AIM2. Uh, certainly, Two of those I suspect you'd need, plus independence. I think you could you would see independence sitting around the cabinet table. The other option is Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil because that is Sinn Féin's only route to government unless they increase dramatically uh, in the polls. So either way, Fianna Fáil, uh, despite not having a good poll performance at 16%, way off the kind of levels that the party would be, uh, even, even in the last general election we're, we're, we're looking at, they are at the very least the kingmaker because I don't think a government can be formed without Fianna Fáil. I don't see Fine Gael going into government with Sinn Féin. So Fianna Fáil, despite its weakness at the moment, does seem to hold the aces.
1: Before I let you go, beside your piece in the Business Post, Richard Caldwell from Red Sea is writing under the headline, both referendums should pass, but the results could be closer than expected. And we see this morning the Irish Catholics Catholic Bishops' Conference putting out a statement calling for a no vote in both referendums and asking priests to uh, read from the altar that the support for that no vote. At the moment, support is suggesting that among those who are uh, eligible to vote, 55% yes uh, for the second, 59% yes for the first and very small no's, a big proportion of, of don't knows. Does it have the feel to you of something over the next two weeks where that is going to come back a long way?
0: I think it could. I think, you know, if you look at those figures, my first reaction when I saw them was, ah, right, this is, it's kind of a done deal. Despite all that, you know, there's a lot of high profile people. I know you're going to be talking to Michael McDo later in the show. A lot of high profile uh, legal experts saying they have problems with it. And I saw those figures initially and I went, I know, that's job done. But then, as you say, when you start looking at the don't knows, and I think when you, I think most people have not really tuned into this referendum. It's quite complex, it's quite detailed, it's quite legalistic in some places. I think people have not really tuned in. And I think if they're going to do so, it's going to be over, I think it's, what, it's 12 days to, to the referendum, it'll be over the next 12 days. And I would be a little bit worried if I was on the yes side. I mean, there's, it's still likely, I think, that they both will be passed. But I'd be a little bit concerned at the level of don't knows. And one thing I have, one theory I have heard positive about this is that the more likely or the more you uh, delve into this, the more likely you have to raise questions about the yes vote. That's a worry for for the yes vote. So it's, it's all I think it's looking like a yes vote, but it's a long way from over.
1: Shane, thank you very much and particularly appreciate the fact that on on one of the only days when you get a chance to stay in the scratcher that you get out of it on our behalf it is much appreciated that is Shane Coleman of course Shane with you uh, back tomorrow morning on News Talk Breakfast now we'll try to win you some money
0: Your chance to win big News Talk's cash machine well, Aoife Kavanagh
1: is planning a summer hollier for the family this weekend. She just finished a school run when Barry called her with the cash machine call on Friday. She had the number written down and the celebrations have begun. We've had a fantastic streak of winners so far in February. We're looking for the next person to join the likes of Shay in Dublin, Gary and Ita in Kildare, John and Hugh in Cork, Danny in Galway, and now IFA in Sligo as big money winners of the cash machine. If you want to take part, it's easy. We give you an amount, you take a note of it, you enter, and if we call you and you give us the number, you win the cash. So the cash machine amount is €50,221.34. You can text the word PLAY to 57557. That's 57557. It'll cost you €2.50 plus your standard message rate to play. You have to be over 18. You're playing across the Live network of stations, and if you want to read the terms and conditions, you can get them on newstalk.com. Now, I'm joined by John Cunningham, who is former chair of the Immigrant Council of Ireland and relationship director of Morgan McKinley. Elaine Geraghty, formerly of this parish, she ran this parish for some time uh, and uh, took over from Shunni Rahalig in Ardmore Studios, where she is currently the boss. And David Davenpower, um, broadcaster and, of course, former RTE correspondent and uh, senior presenter. We will talk RTE because I think it is it is legally required of us to talk RTE, given this, the scale of the coverage there is in the papers this weekend. Before that, um, David, will you pop back on the the political correspondent and analyst's hat just to pick up on what Shane was saying in respect of the Red Sea poll? Big relief for Sinn Féin, one assumes.
2: It's a big relief for Sinn Féin, but their support has been yo-yoing up and down. And that would seem to suggest to me that a lot of the voters who say that they'll plump for Sinn Féin are soft supporters. Uh, Who knows what they'll do on election day? uh, Whereas support for uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, while not where the parties would like it to be, has been steady enough. So I think that's a worry for Sinn Féin. I think that uh, they're a fashionable uh, party at the moment, particularly among young people in Dublin. uh, And they've done well in polls as a result. And
1: done particularly well in Dublin in this latest one, a 10-point shift in I mean,
2: Dublin is where it's at in elections increasingly so that's a very very important figure for them but, you know, I think the support is soft and I think the next election is by no means uh, a done deal. Chain uh, made a good point there about um, the, uh, the the possibility of a reversion to the kind of five-party coalition, in which case my former colleague Dave McCullough will be called upon to put on his academics hat because, of course, he's the expert on the, that particular period of Irish political history. Uh, so it's possible it's, it, it would be messy. Uh, and there are still those in uh, Fine Gael, uh, who think the party really has a, has an opportunity to regroup in opposition. The one um, the, the one reservation I, I would make is that I'm not sure that Fine Gael is going to have a good general election. There are signs that the party organisation is weak. They couldn't even get their preferred candidate over the line in the European elections. And around the country, uh, I hear that... Uh, there are difficulties in attracting candidates and in selecting candidates in areas where uh, sitting tds have decided to stand down so i think could be trouble ahead and
1: there. a fair few who have decided to stand down when you look at meps and tds report nine is the total that have decided and that not there will go be a,
2: a, a, i would imagine two more uh, now, uh, uh, Fine Gael Gamely says that there were lots of young, talented people lined up. That may well be true, uh, but you can't underestimate the value of incumbency in uh, a, a, an election.
1: John Cunningham, I happened to be on a, a train the other day, this is about a week ago, and I, I saw a former, um, now long since retired, cabinet, um, former cabinet minister from Fianna Fáil and I sidled up to him and said, come here, betting on the makeup of the next government and without blinking, it was Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, no question.
3: OK, well, I think, first of all, I think Shane's piece is great today, right? I have a sense that the next government is going to be a version of what we have now. But to me, the two big things that came out in the, the, the conversation today are, one, Social Democrats 7%, Labour 3%, okay So what's going to happen there in the context of kingmakers potentially? If they do get together, what would that look like? Will it be kind of, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 5 and you get the 10% or 11%? That to me is going to be very interesting. But I think that the point he hit on with regarding Sinn Féin I think is really interesting, is the issue of the immigration. And I know this, come back to my role as chair of the Immigrant Council some years ago, Sinn Féin were the first party to identify that migrants in Dublin had votes. And they mobilised those migrant voters to great effect with regard to council and, 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 and general elections. And it's quite clear in the conversations we're having now what we can see is that there's a rump of Sinn Féin supporters who are not in support of that migrant conversation. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage that narrative and I think you can see kind of Shane kind of talking about the fact that they're pulling back a little bit from that kind of, you know, that debate. But that could rip them apart in the context of actually getting it right. I think David's point about the yo yoing, I mean, I don't believe ever they were at 35% in real terms, okay? So I think that, and you can see it here in the graphs, Finnefall and Finnegale have that solid, solid, constant support across the period. And uh, I think your former Finnefall colleague that you met in the train, It might be wishful thinking in some respects, but I still believe at this stage now that the next election will be some version of what we have now.
1: The other um, thing that's in the Business Post poll, of course, is the referendum. Uh, Elaine Geraghty, the the front uh, or rather the uh, Irish Bishops Conference have released a statement on the family and care referendum saying that they uh, are calling for a no vote on both and asking for priests to uh, read that from the altar uh, this morning. That has a big feel in 1985,
4: doesn't it? It sure does. And it's the first thing I read this morning because it obviously missed the papers overnight, but I saw it on the Irish Times online and that might help settle decisions on where... In which direction? Well, where you want to go with it. Yes, yes, here. Correct. But the other thing is, and I think Shane was talking about this, it's right, a lot of us, including myself, are only coming to think about the referendum now. It's snuck up from nowhere. So I want to sit down, read everything. And actually, I think what's been really interesting, I think on News Talk during the week as well, Justice Marie Baker um was on explaining you know what it means and it it takes time to understand it it is complex but i think the announcement by the bishops from that from the altars will certainly uh
1: well, it's interesting <laughs> Certainly to see already Certainly pushing a certain saying, direction. <laughs> anyone in this day and age taking advice from bishops on political there points needs their head examined. They're not living in this century. And other bishops might reflect on their own historical treatment of mothers. Um, if you viewed 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or 087 1400 106. And of course, already the texts are coming in in respect of RTE. One saying, hang on a minute, Catherine Martin didn't uh, expect to be asked whether or not she had confidence in the chair. How naive is she? it would appear that the next resignation will be hers. Well, she's facing into the media committee uh, next week, so that'll be some pressure. After the break, we'll analyse how we got here, what likely future she has, and where to next for RTE. Let's start then with RTE, because this, uh, to quote Shrek, it has, it has layers like an onion at this point. Um, David Davenpower, the suggestion that the minister went on prime time, because this is not one of the papers this, today, the minister went on prime time not expecting to be asked if she had confidence in the chair of RTE.
2: Oh, I don't think that's credible. Um, of course she was going to be uh, asked uh, has she confidence in the chair of RTE because it, it's, 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 once the, the issue of the chair's performance comes up obviously that's a, a almost a knee-jerk question from any interviewer worth their salt. Uh, I think there are a lot of questions about the minister's account of things. And indeed, I have to say, there are some questions about the account given by the former General Secretary of her department, uh, who says that she received a phone call last um, October, but can't recollect the details of that phone call. Now, last October, um, corporate governance and RTE was the talk of the country. Uh, So, I mean, if... You're told that a settlement package has been agreed with the senior person in RTE. Any civil servant would inquire in precise detail as to what had happened.
1: Has there been a payoff and if so, how much?
2: And if so, who knew about it and who approved it? So that's a grey area. Now, having said all that, and, you know, I think the Minister made a bad decision in sacking Shunni Ratley effectively and will struggle to get an adequate replacement. Having said all that, I would say the Minister is probably more or less in the clear. I mean, there's smoke coming from one of her engines, if you will, but she, is prob- she will probably regain altitude. She has the backing of her party, and she has the backing of her colleagues who are grumbling about her, it has to be said, but, you know, in public they are backing her up. Um... But I think the damage done to RTE is considerable. Uh, I know there was irritation on the part of the Minister that on a couple of occasions she felt that she hadn't been kept in the loop by Shun Nirali, and there's no doubt that in the early stages Shun Nirali mishandled, to my mind, the Ryan Tubbally thing. Uh, but this is, was this accumulation of irritation? Uh, a sacking offence? Yeah. I don't think Well, to. let me
1: pick up, yeah. Elaine, with you on that because the the phrase that David there used, effectively sacking her on air. Was that your read or your viewing of that primetime interview? Did you see that as a sacking?
4: I did. I was getting ready for the LABA and uh, I'd one eye on the telly and I saw Minister Martin coming on, watched it live and my immediate response was, uh, sheehan has gone. How do you come back from that? And and by the way, and you said already, I, I know Sheehan, I worked with her in the Tribune hundreds of years ago. Uh, I knew her when she was chair of TG Cahar. So her bona fides in terms of her Mm. public service remit and her, you know, talent. So all of that aside... Many
1: have said that, including Vincent Brown coming out publicly in support. No,
4: totally. I mean, look at the job that needed to be done. And, And by the way, when she took up that position, none of this stuff had emerged. Like it it goes back way. So I would have thought coming in to take that position was challenging anyway. However, Shoon's focus and always has been um, is, is, you know, the importance of public service and what she can do and highly qualified to do it. Also, I think her background and her qualifications around finance and accountancy, you know, which I don't think were present on the board up to that point. Greatly welcome. Anyway, your your question was did I think that was what was happening and emerging as I watched? That's exactly what it was. And a There's, few people have said yeah. well look,
1: she could have taken a deep breath, met the minister the next morning, got an undertaking for the minister that there would be an expression of confidence to follow that meeting and life could have gone on. No. no.
4: And she couldn't have done that. because. And also, let's flip it the other way. It was almost like a work in progress. It The whole thing hadn't been resolved. If the minister was concerned about such an issue and I would kind of agree with you David I mean like is it, is it a sacking offence I don't know there may be questions to be answered I wasn't in the room but solve it I mean yeah. I, know th- I know the point was we needed a face to face and that's fair enough but you could do a video call if people were you know not location was an issue solve it address it and then decide what the next action is but to effectively say well you're you, no confidence or you can't come back from no. that
3: and, and she hasn't well and she's gone
4: it? and, and it's a big loss
3: And I think that watching it, when you think there was a meeting in the diary the following day for the minister and the chair to meet, I regard what happened on as outrageous. It was so disrespectful. And again, in the context of this conversation about public service and people participating, who in their right mind would voluntarily get involved in the pass or the boards.ie process to participate in a process like this. So the disrespect that was shown to her was absolutely, from my point of view, appalling. But just one thing to say again, and forgetting about and, and we won't get into hopefully the nitty gritty of who said what and when. I think the board of RTE need to be commended for not resigning and just walking away from this, because, I mean, there's no great advantage except their reputations. And I think the board need to be commended for actually not resigning. And, and, and what they've done in that public service context to me is really damaging. And again, I, I didn't know Sean, but all I know people who know her, this was a woman competent and fit for purpose.
1: Well, can I go back on that? Because, Elaine, you, yeah. you talked about having known her back in the Tribune days. Was there something of a tin ear in how she interacted with the minister? Because if you look at three aspects, she, first of all, fired the director general and didn't tell the minister. She uh, stood over a payment to Rory Coveney of 200,000 euro and let the minister find out months later in the weekend papers rather than making it clear to her. And, as David pointed out, at the point at which the the general discourse was about payoffs in RTE, one was apparently given to Richard Collins Mm -hmm. and that was not made aware to the minister in a way that the minister understood. Now, you put the three of them together, the state board chairs have been removed for less. And I absolutely
4: agree with you. And there are that is is how it's viewed and I wasn't in any of those rooms and I think that's fair comment. However, when you put them together like that, yeah, pretty serious but there's, you know, there, there's an issue around how things are communicated. I don't know how they were. Initially when I heard the interview the other night on Thursday night, I felt that the question was who knew what when and I know Shun had chaired the remuneration committee which had signed off on that and also she was the one that picked up the phone and said to the minister, by the way, mm there's a piece of information that either wasn't communicated or was communicated incorrectly and I want to bring it to your attention. And I think that's worth mm. noting because if you do that, she's the one that put her hand up and said, now look, I'm not here to defend her because if no,
2: it's No, but that
1: is a fine point. It was she who commu- corrected the record did, as and, soon and as and she could. And that wasn't
4: clear from the interview on Thursday.
1: David, do you want to come in? David Devenfair? I
2: was just saying that perhaps if the... In normal circumstances, that accumulation of things might uh, impel a minister to say, right, we've had enough. Mm. Well, two things. First of all, you, uh, you'd you call the person in and mm. uh, give them a few a yellow card, if you will. Uh, the second thing is uh, a key person in a, an institution that is so embattled as RTE uh, to, to effectively get rid of them Without, as far as we know, a, 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 a replacement being lined up, I mean that's that, that's corporate madness. But, but I'm sorry, but
3: there's one other thing again. This is the role of Kevin Backhurst, who, from my perspective, is a man who's fit for purpose. And as a friend of mine, Paul, if I said if I said this again, he's never going to talk to me. But would you give the man a chance to do his job? How can you run a business or run an organisation when everything there's obviously there's leaks, there's things going on? It becomes impossible. And as far as I'm concerned, all of those things that Kevin Barker has tried to do has been the right thing with regard to restructuring, taking control of the organisation. So from my point of view at this stage now, we need to give some space with regard to letting this settle. It'll be fascinating to see the events of being chair and the
2: impact of that with regard to the board and the organisation. I just think that... This, I'm sorry, okay. Elaine, I'll just quickly... I think the problem is that this row about governance and the removal of uh, Shunni Rahali effectively is, is is a distraction mm. from the, the major job of restructuring that has to be done mm. in Orti if it is to survive. And Backhurst has done a good job and I know him and uh, I think he's a very effective chap, but... We still haven't seen his plan. We don't know what the future is for RTE. Uh, He would accept himself that the the draft plan needs flesh put on the bones. So we're here talking about who said what to whom last (laughs) October, whereas while the the, the future of the organisation is still very much... But the who said what
1: to whom last October has a direct political impact and makes it much more difficult for the government to sign big checks to RTE when this is still in the milieu, doesn't it?
2: It does, it does. And I don't think there's any prospect whatsoever of the funding model being decided before the next election, which is a problem in its own right. Uh, So, um, uh, look, I feel sorry for my former colleagues in RTE. It's a dreadful time. Elaine, you want to come in?
4: Yeah, I do. I mean, a couple of things. Elaine Garrity. Uh, the role of the chair and the CEO, I mean, it's a very important relationship in any organisation mm. in terms of getting things done. So one of those components is missing and that's going to be difficult. And I see Matt Cooper saying, well, who would want to take the job in the Sunday Business Post this time around? The other thing is around funding. Like That's such an important issue. It's been on the table for years and I suppose it takes a crisis to sort of steady attention around those things. And now it's, it's lost its way. It's so important itself, whatever way it is resolved. But like all the attention is somewhere it shouldn't be right now, which is an awful shame.
1: We spoke yesterday to, we had uh, Larry Bass with us, who was formerly, briefly a director in uh, RTE. He's also one of the biggest suppliers of uh, independent content content to RTE in the form of things like um, uh, Dancing with the Stars. Um, uh, Larry was with us, as was Seamus Dooley, the secretary of the NUJ. And at the end of the discussion, I, I asked them both, starting with Seamus, what needs to be done now? Here's what they said.
0: Government needs to decide that they're making a decision on funding. A lot of nonsense we be talking about waiting for government reports and all that. Just make the decision on funding. Appoint a chair, appoint a competent chair, fill the board and, and end all of this. There are so many acting positions I suggested yesterday that or he could set up its own branch of ac- equity. It's daft. It is just no way we to run a, a circus. We need a chair with business acumen. People who know who to run a business
1: in a modern world. Now, picking up on that, Elaine, what chairman or chairwoman or chairperson or chair, whatever way we wanted to use the term, what chair or potential chair with business acumen who knows how to run a business in the modern world and who has some passing uh, understanding of public service broadcasting, that'd be handy as well, and also understands the political system. Who wants this gig now?
4: Somebody who's been out of the country for five years and hasn't heard anything so far. Look, that's so damaging. Who? Where's the queue you know, of things that you want to get done? Who would want to do it? I mean, like, it's certainly not for the money, that's for sure. Absolutely. And who's got that passion and that belief and that drive? Because it's a very different proposition. It's also a challenge because you've got a mix. You've got, a, you know, public money, you've commercial income, you've several stakeholders. It's, it's very complex, the organisation in any case. I don't know.
3: But, yeah. it, but it calls into question, I think, this whole structure of public service and state boards you can be guaranteed the person you'd really want to chair orte is under no circumstance going to put their hand up or participate in the process now my understanding is that the chairman of RTE is a minister's decision so they don't have to go through the past process or the boards.ie which at least gives some structure with regard to with, with regard to kind of the skills that are required and I think Larry is absolutely right Can you
1: I know, just say is boards.ie not a discussion forum? Public State, board. state, state boards. boards State boards Sorry, state board. yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Stateboards.ie <laughs> Stateboards. and the past system which again at least when you think back before this happened it was just buddies been appointed to boards who were kind of former this and former that and former the other at least the process now means that there's some level of competency with regard to those appointments but the biggest problem I have in looking at it is that they often define the role so narrowly mm. that it makes it very very hard for the kind of people you'd want to participate to participate in it so they've created a phenomenal problem for themselves and it's calling into question for me this whole commitment to public service, which is so important in the Irish context and the democratic structure. And this is a country that couldn't function without people participating on a voluntary basis. And what's happened with Shewn and the Minister, to me, has absolutely diminished and damaged that as a prospect.
2: Elaine said that the key relationship, a key relationship is between the chair and the chief executive. That's right. But of course, RTE is a very political organisation. And the skill set of any chair would have to extend to getting on with the department, And, you know, it's a treat, who has that skill set? Uh, and would want this job now, David. Well, I, and of course, whoever gets the job will have to serve under another minister after the election. So who knows what that... So it's, it's, you, you need political antennae. Um, and of course, it will be a ministerial pick. Catherine Martin uh, will choose somebody. But I would say there'll be a lot of people when they see her mm. m- number coming up on their phone, they'll be saying, <laughs> yeah.
3: I
0: won't be <laughs> taking yet. that any
2: day soon. And bear yeah. in mind for the next chair coming in, this is going to be
3: a full-time role. Yes. So you can't be the ninth thing in your list of things to do. This is going to be a full-time role that's going to require every sinew of their intelligence and their energy to pull the whole thing together. Now, that to me is going to be another challenge with regard to finding somebody who, one, has the time, the energy and the commitment to do it.
1: With us is John Cunningham, former chair of the Immigrant Council of Ireland, relationship director with Morgan McKinley, David Davenpower, uh, broadcaster, uh, formerly of RTE, and Elaine Garrity, the CEO of Ardmore Studios and previously the boss of this parish. Elaine, you wanted to come in. You had the look of somebody who wanted to come in. I did. <laughs> it's not a legal requirement. We can move on without you coming in. <laughs> no, not at all. I just This was on whether or not anybody no, would take the no. One of the people mentioned, by the way, there's, there's been a list of runners and I saw the list. David Hall is on. Is one of them. Mark Little. <laughs> Terence O'Rourke, ex, yeah. uh, KPMG, current chair of the yeah, ESB.
2: Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Fantasy stuff. But the other thing... I mean, that, wonderful
2: people. But I, what haven't they seen, I haven't seen any credible name. No, there's yet.
4: But the other thing, I think you're saying, but why would you take the job? I mean, Think about having to go in front of octus committees. Like that's actually part. That's what I was yeah. going to say. That's part of it now. Who would well, I've done it a few times. You know, it's not for the faint hearted. You know, it but, but, really, sorry, but, but even more important
2: election
3: year.
4: Well, yeah. perfect but even, timing. But
3: even more importantly, the Oroctus committees have demonstrated to us in the last two years the appalling treatment of people who've gone before them, the grandstanding of middle ranking politicians who are using it as a chance to promote themselves. Mm-hmm. It is utterly destructive in the context of what they're really trying to achieve. And you think about it. Forget about the money because that is not the issue, OK? This whole concept of public service to me has been undermined and called into question. And the people you want to step forward will be absolutely gone like a light.
1: On the topic of uh, this committees, Catherine Martin is going to have to show up in front of a Narathis committee. Now, the first question, Elaine, is going back to, because what she's showing up to answer to, first and foremost, is what she did on primetime and everything that follows. When you look at the primetime thing, do you read that as an exercise in cold, cynical, Machiavellian strategy? Or do you think she walked off and and had a moment where she thought, what have I done?
4: I think there might have been a wobble because I, I know, and this is purely personal view, just watching it, it was, un- it was unnerving and yeah. unsettling to watch that happening for me. There's a lot of coverage just because we've all read the papers. The Indo has a very forensic, almost minute by minute account of what happened. And it was to be a pre-record. It turned into a live interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you'd much rather a pre-record. You've got control and so on and so forth. But I felt just watching it this wasn't necessarily supposed to happen. I'm not sure. Now, I could be completely naive about that, but that was just my feeling about it. But the Rubicon was crossed Mm. and that's what I felt, that once that had happened, there was really no way back back from it.
2: I wonder how much of an ordeal the committee is going to be for Catherine Martin. Um... I think I was quite surprised at how lukewarm the, uh, the the response of the opposition was I expected a much more full front, full throttle approach to her yes. having
1: uh, Ivana Batchett called for clarity well, not a resignation
2: it was only Marie Sherlock I think that called for a resignation and even her party leader didn't seem to be too sure about whether uh, her position was tenable um, Sinn Féin of course uh, are, are licking their wounds after calling for Helen McEntee's resignation yep. Uh so, obviously, the the I think the most forensic people on that uh, committee have included people uh, like the Fine Gael deputy uh, from for Mayo, whose name is Alan Dillon. Alan Dillon, yeah. uh, Obviously, he's not going not going to go for Catherine Martin. Uh, so I I tell you, I agree with you, Elaine. I, th- I thought it was a, a strange performance on uh, prime time. And a confident performance, I thought, on the 6-1 News the following day, when she had two vital pieces of information. Number one, that the board was not going to resign en masse, which was mooted overnight, I can tell you. Yeah. And number two, that she had the support of her cabinet colleagues. I thought that that... Less than 24 hours uh, 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 really emboldened Catherine Martin and she looked in a lot better shape Different on the, six, than on the 6-1 news.
1: Saying, I think we've reached a tipping point where most people are sick of here, hearing here. about yes. all yeah. of next RT fatigue. Well, we will leave it there. One final thing before we go off. Elaine, maybe I'm alone in this, but is there something very strange about the way the RT board positions itself? It, in, in all of the public statements and the way it acts, it acts like it is tangentially related, as if it met the organisation in passing at a party, as opposed to being part of RTE.
4: It's very strange. But also the board right now I, probably comprises people who have been there in the past. You've got some new blood in there mm. as well. I'm not quite sure what it is right now. And I think they've requested a meeting as well, face to face. I don't know what that looks like either. It's it's
2: it's all dysfunctional. It's all dysfunctional. I think three or four vacancies on the board. There's two people who are due to step down. The whole thing is a mess.
1: And that meeting, I mean, did the notion of a cabinet minister sitting down to eight people Can en masse because there is no chair. By the way, that's one other thing to ask in this. What about the performance of the civil service in this? I was of the impression that when a state chair rang a civil service department, people took out pens and paper and and made notes notes of what happened.
4: And I doubt it was a very short conversation just to say a process had concluded. Mic drop. That's it. You know, it's it's interesting.
3: And why did it take until now to ask the questions that they're asking when they had the information they Mm. had in October? So I think that, look, this will rumble on for a bit longer. I think that, again, I think we've made it clear Shoon's treatment was appalling. The board stood up and they need to be commended that Kevin Backhurst do his job and get on with restructuring the organisation. And when
2: it comes to Worthy, we're talking about the wrong things now, aren't
3: we? Yeah. yeah,
1: we are. As in that we should be talking about the funding model. Funding model and restructuring. Well, if they would stop doing other stuff to take the focus off that... <laughs> You can't exactly have the chairman of RT resign and say, well, we'll ignore that and go back to the funding model. Yeah, but why did she resign? And there is a story in the business post saying that it is not fair to expect the industry to fund returns and pay for litter cleanup. And the person who is saying this is the ESG, so the Environment, Sustainability and Governance boss of Coca-Cola, who has has a fair bit of skin in this game. For This is the ongoing criticism about these machines that you have to feed stuff into, David.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a low level, like the rest of the EU, of recycling. And it is a good idea that you get paid for, you, you pay a deposit and you get paid for your bottle and your uh, can when you recycle it. But, I mean, the, the whole process seems to me to be over-elaborate. We've got expensive machines. The The rollout has been patchy, to say the least. There's a lot of questions raised I can't understand for the life of me why they couldn't wait until all of the old cans and bottles had gone through (laughs) the system because, uh, uh, you know, most of the stuff in the shelves now doesn't have the recycling um, uh, symbol on it and can't be put in the machines. I went and I bought a four-pack of Guinness uh, during the week, or a week a week ago, and I saw on during the, the week, David. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving it up for the weekend, and I saw on the on the receipt sixty cents. So I said to the guy, "What's that?" He said, "That's the deposit." And we had a conversation about, you yeah, know, the system was ridiculously over elaborate. And he agreed, and he said the whole thing is a disaster, and you know, it's a big problem for us, and blah blah blah. Uh, As you do. And I got home, and of course, I found. And he trousered by 60 cents because there was no symbol on the cans after. So and I'm not sure if it was deliberate or not, but it is a big problem.
1: And my only experience of it so far, um, I don't know, if Elaine, if you shared this, my only experience has been walking past people fighting with machines.
4: Yeah, I haven't even tried this myself. I mean, I'm looking at this plastic bottle that I've got in front of me and saying, yeah. what am I going to do with that now?" Does it
1: have the, the code on it?
4: Uh, I'll have to get my glasses on. I don't the
1: know. David, David knows the code from it. does it? Do you know no. the code? Yeah, it's a little old. No, 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 it's not. No, no. Okay, well, if the ever day. there's a fine proof. <laughs> So you haven't experimented No, not with. yet. Well, and what about the point that the, the uh, ESG chief in, in uh, Coca-Cola is making? This is Louise Sullivan. What she is saying, she's head of uh, packaging circularity. By God, there's a business card. And she's saying we have to recognise that the deposit scheme is achieving, uh, it, it, what it is achieving is a good thing. We wouldn't believe that it would be fair for companies to be expected to fund the deposit system and pay the full clean-up costs.
3: Well, I think they're part of the process and they're part of the problem, so I think it's fair enough to say you need to participate. For me, what I find slightly traumatic is that, that my daughter Edie has now introduced a fourth <laughs> bucket at home and she's told me what to look out for with regard guard. I can't crush things. They have to have the ore, so we've now got a new bucket at home for our recycling and I'm thinking, dear God, if I get it wrong I'll be in awful trouble.
1: But they have to stay at their original mm. volume, of course, because can't has to read you, the scanner. You, you oh, can't yeah.
3: crush them. You could, So I'm thinking okay, there's something else for me to worry about. As a 56-year-old man, I can hardly cope with all the things I'm worrying about <laughs> at the moment. But you know, b- b- but back to back to this point about, about just the recycling thing, I mean, these machines. I've gone into shops, I mean Gary Morton, the famous Mortons on Dunville Avenue, I met him before it launched and he had this sheet of, this this folder of 2,493 codes for bottles that didn't have the ore on it but you were allowed to get your money back on it okay think about this now so therefore then they introduced this system with millions and millions and millions of bottles in the system that hadn't run through yet and poor Gary was going around trying to input these codes into the machine so when you go back and complain and say there's no ore on my thing, they say, oh, no, it's OK. It's OK. Those <laughs> are all right. We, we've included that code. So,
1: oh, so Elaine may still be in with a shot at 15 Elaine, cents off the back of that. Elaine
3: maybe. So I wouldn't <coughs> throw, <coughs> first don't throw it away. I'm taking Elaine. it with me. Elaine, it's not
4: staying here. Don't
3: crush it. I'll try don't not crush to. It And bring it back in. So, so your four cans without the ore, you'll be told that technically, oh, even though there's no ore on it, you're allowed to put it in the machine. And that to me, again, this is covered quite extensively when they launched it. They got that bit wrong. There was all these millions of cans and bottles without the ore. They're in the
2: system and it's But But yet, yet again, the, the virtuous are penalised. Here I am. I'm, the, I'm a very good recycler. We have all these things. We I go down to the dump every two weeks. And now I'm being pay, I am being have to pay an extra 15 cent on my can of Guinness. You know, where's, the, where's the justice? And you that? have
1: our unending sympathy, David, for what you have yeah. suffered. A text saying, on deposit returns, so as far as I've seen, many people return bottles and cans Only for the machines to reject them. This is what I've witnessed. I have yet to try one of the machines, but I just watch people having it spitting it back and forth (laughs) and eventually giving up. Then, rather than take them back home to recycle, put they the proceed bin. to angrily throw them in, in the bin. nearest general <laughs> waste, bin. Also, the machines print out a paper receipt, thus generating more waste. Oh, this is the cobra effect, says Niall and Donegal. Are you familiar with the cobra? No, oh, The me. Cobra effect is great. The cobra effect, um, uh, Niall, tell me if I get this right. But my understanding of the cobra effect is that when the Brits ran Calcutta, they had a problem with cobras. So what they did was they said, we will put a bounty on cobras. And people brought them in dead cobras and they got their shilling or whatever it was. But then the entrepreneurial types realised, hang on a minute, there's money in cobras. It's so they breathing. Exactly. They started <laughs> breeding cobras. So now they're breeding cobras, <laughs> bringing them in by the book club. <laughs> the Brits re- realised, hang on a minute, they're breeding cobras. So what do they do? They suspend or they abandon the bounty on cobras. Now there's, the arse falls out of the cobra market <laughs> and everybody who's a cobra breeder says, no point doing this anymore and releases all their cobras. Uh, which leads to the biggest increase in cobras. tripling cobra. the population. <laughs> That's the theory anyway. Um, there are also a whole lot of uh, texts coming in in relation to uh, RTE. I'm sickened to hear people standing up for the RTE chair and the board. I'm not sure there was a whole pile of that, but okay, the rest of the country are appalled. If this was any other company or profession outside the world of media, the board and chair... Would be uh, chopped up instead. Another, we need a Michael O'Leary-style chairperson to grab RTE oh, okay. by the horns. Well. Going back to David's uh, point about needing to be able to rub along well with the political system, I'm not sure Michael O'Leary would be <laughs> top of the list of people who would deliver on. He'd have it
3: sold by Christmas, but anyhow. Yeah.
1: And another, give the chair to Michael O'Leary. I think Michael O'Leary would be the perfect chairman of RTE, successful businessman with bags of experience, and given his love of the Green Party, it would be pure
2: entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> well, entertaining, <laughs> right.
1: And anyone with a business acumen would wind RTE up. It's unviable and depends on taxpayers' money to undercut its competitors, strip it back to a news channel and leave the rest to the commercial sector. I suppose that's the dangerous thing, underpinning all that, that that view begins to get worse. But hurt.
4: there's, I mean, there's already a lot of content that's provided by the independent sector and yeah. I think Kevin Backhurst came out of the blocks very early, said, talking about that that's the model that it will be. We do, what we do very well, news, current affairs, but there's absolutely a role for the rest of it and I mean, that's the way it works. But, but is, that, there
3: not, is there not a, an issue and a question over this issue we've raised before? Public service broadcasting. And it has been presented as the only realm within RTE. And as you know, News Talk provide a really important public service. So what's that discussion and debate? And we all believe that in a functioning democracy, we need public service broadcasting. If it's that important, let's define it, let's narrow it down and fund RTE to, to be the best public service broadcaster in the world. They've created a model that's unworkable in the context of the public service broadcasting responsibility and the commercial
2: requirement to make it function? It has to be some kind of direct funding, but mediated by some, um, some independent third party. Uh, um, the Another ID. board.
1: Well, well, I can a well, man or somebody yeah, you want to yeah. see.
2: Maybe somebody, something a little more powerful than that, because if there is to be direct funding of an organisation that's more and more concentrated on news and current affairs, it has to be firewalled from the political world.
1: That was David Davin Power. Uh, before David was Elaine Garrity, uh, who is the CEO in Ardmore. And before Elaine, John Cunningham, the relationship director with Morgan McKinley. The Anton Savage Show, brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.